Welcome to the Blue and White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the The Blue Blue and and White White Brothers. (laughs) Two brothers. Two takes. One team. You know, Andy, every time I hear our intro that we recorded before we ever recorded an episode, I'm reminded of the three amigos because we're saying, I'm Tom Gaffman <laughs> and I'm in, and I'm Ned Needlander. <laughs> and we are the we are yep. the two we are the two bro amigos. <laughs> yeah, I know you don't like that intro anymore. We're, we're uh, we got something cooking in the uh, deep in the. <laughs> Considering a change, I, at, I like it. At, well, I don't hate it, but I also would like to make it better. Do you, do you like the lion roar in there? That I was, like that's new for this. I year. like the lion roar in there. It, it, I like the lion roar. Period. I also, um, you know, I, we, we're running a <laughs> low rent ship for, you know. <laughs> We're the little dinghy floating around in the harbor, <laughs> and it, it shows by the sounds and feels of this thing. But um, I mean, that's really neither here nor there because we're just here to talk Penn State football. We're, we're just having fun. We're not CBS Sports. We're not. Hey, you know what? You know what's interesting about this episode is that we were really—I was anyway—really anxious about whether or not we were able, even going to be able to do it because you were going to be. Uh, in the wilds of who knows where. That's a great point. And I didn't even know if we. I didn't even know if we we're going to get to do no, it. No, honestly, like, Andy, I, let me let me explain this to you. So, what has happened to your life? Let me explain this to you. I'm going to turn the engine off. <laughs> I'm going to turn the engine off. We're going to clip this forward. Is that okay with yep. you? All right. So, give me one yep. second. I just realized this. <laughs> Oh yeah, Tom's still recording from the van. He's just gonna turn the engine off now, so we don't have the engine rumble in the background of the recording. Are you talking to me? I don't have my headphones. I was just letting people know what a bozo what? you are yeah, for I keeping can't... the van on because you're still living in a van down by the river. Uh, literally. So, Andy, <laughs> listen. <laughs> I just had to pause for a moment to go turn the engine off into my living domicile. You know that you know that um, skit in SNL where uh, Chris Farley and David Spade and uh, the gr- a classic all time classic yeah Christina 100%. Applegate is like the co- is the host of the episode but she, and she, so she's a girl from Married with Children and all that kind of stuff and so you know he, Chris Farley comes in as um, Matt Foley the motivational Matt, Matt Foley. speaker and he's like. He's like, you're going to have, a, he's like, what are they? like David Spade, he comes in to like try and get these kids off drugs, essentially, like smoking yeah. weed yeah. and stuff like that. And so he you're comes to be smoking doobies. He's like, you're going to have a lot of time rolling doobies when you're living in a van down by the river. And it's Andy, amazing. You know what I, I'm doing I, right now? Do you know what I'm doing? You're living in a van down by the river, I aren't am you? I'm in Tom? our hometown. In a van, yeah. literally down by the river. I am overlooking the river where from where I'm sitting on the, you finally made on it, the bro on the backside on it. the backside of Bucknell University in a van because so you only wish you could go to Bucknell University. The closest you can get is a van down by the river. I did attend Bucknell University, Andy. It was just for effect. No, man. it I didn't just... work. You didn't even attend Bucknell University, Andy. 
All right. I did attend Bucknell Oh, sorry. University. While you were in high school taking calculus. Real cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I yeah, am in a anyway. van, a sponsored vehicle <laughs> from Dave and Matt's Vans in Chipsom, Colorado. They gave, gave me a van so I could go support Scott Jurek's uh, Appalachian Trail speed record attempt. My girlfriend and I uh, were, you know, lead crew members uh, uh, of that attempt of his. And on day six, his quad blew, and he tore tore his quadricep. And the attempt was over after you know several hundreds of miles and a lot of intensity <laughs> over that period of time. But um, it was fun. Um, and and what I realized during that attempt um, mm. is that I would not have been able to record. It would have been almost <laughs> no impossible to, to record any episodes. <laughs> So luck, luckily for the show's sake, um, you know, I'm, all, all that had to happen. You're was, back. All that had to happen was my friend tore his quad, and uh, you know, <laughs> which we hope doesn't happen to any of our no, offensive players. But here I am, defensive. able to record in a van down by the river. Okay, so so we're off to a great start to this episode. Feels already. that way. I'm feeling it. Um, but uh, we're not here just to talk about uh, vans and. Uh, outdoor excursions and uh, we're here to talk about Penn State football and uh, this episode is dedicated to the offense and um, we've got some exciting things to talk about with the offense um, we'll be getting into it um, before we do that we'll be doing news and notes um, news and which notes. is news our which is our you know typical segment what's going on in the Penn State football world mm-hmm. and then we're gonna uh, what, shift to what's the, up with that? What's up with that? <laughs> You're gonna shift mm-hmm. into it. <laughs> What's you guys up need with to see the another SNL. dance that goes along with this. Another SNL reference. Uh, Nailed one it. day maybe we'll get on the we'll get on video here so you guys can see the the, the truly wonderful <laughs> oh, gem oh, that way, I get to see I am here. In, I just so you know, Andy, I, I I don't know about you. Are you wearing anything Penn State related? Everything that I'm wearing right now is blue or white. Everything. I have a white t-shirt on. Does that help? <sighs> kind of, I guess. But I'm wearing a Penn State emblemed shirt. I am wearing a blue and white hat. I'm wearing, even wearing blue sunglasses right now. I'm wearing blue shorts, and I'm even wearing blue sandals. I am in the Penn State Nittany Lion spirit right now, Andy. I am ready for this season, dude. I'm ready. Thanks for painting Thanks for painting the picture, bro. Uh, so, yeah, so I have more to notes. paint. We're, we're going to then do a new segment. Uh, that we're going to call the blue and white breakdown. And we're going to break down your Sitch's offensive scheme, try to give you a sense of what we expect to see. And then we're going to get into the bulk of the episode, which is uh, the position previews um, for the offense and and uh, talk about who's going to be contributing and, and go through each unit of the offense. And um, so we're going to dive in. But, but before we do, bro, are you feeling it? That's what I'm just Are saying. You I was it? just I was in the middle of explaining I mean, to you that I'm feeling the, it. I That's what I was I saying. Mean, the, I'm dressed like the I Penn feel State it. Offense. Are you feeling it? Andy, yeah, I'm dressed like I feel the Penn State offense. All right. Okay, but and speaking of feeling You're it. You're showing not telling. Feeling I it. it. I, I get it. I want you to know that I just spent um Saturday in our beloved Happy Valley. I really? was I was I drove right by the stadium on a perfect Saturday. Three Saturdays prior to our first game, 
obviously our first did game. Did you away. happen to see any uh, any practices occurring? Did you put eyes on our, our players? I didn't have time. I was on my way to the ale house in Toft Trees. I was meeting up with some friends. Uh, I actually ate what? a... Any, any particular friends? Um... Uh, well, so friends of mine and my girlfriend, uh, the realtors in the area, but we were on our way to a gold medal party for David Taylor, the wrestler from Penn Ooh, State, who, yeah. who won Olympic gold and got to run into a bunch of other um, Penn State nas- former Penn State national champions and Bo Nickel and Zane Rutherford and a handful of other dudes. Uh, it was pretty awesome. Uh, we were all at champs, and um, so I was feeling the Penn State family love from all angles not just football but um yeah man it's 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 shaped it's time yeah if, if you feel Late summer in happy valley feeling the penn mm. state nittany lion blue bleeding blue and white all up and down um i like it that place man it's it's i like it yeah all right so we'll we'll get into exactly how those feelings translate to uh what we're hoping we're going to see but before we get into the offense as don't run away from your promised feelings. it's <laughs> Another Chris Farley. Oh man, we're just, I'm we're just on Chris Farley run. Don't today. run away from your feelings, Richard. Oh <laughs> right. um, man. So anyway, uh, it's it's time for news and notes. News and notes. Oh man, we are we are upping the ante. <laughs> Yeah, you like that little uh, segment intro? Upping the Andy, because Andy created that little one. (laughs) I I feel like we're 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 you know we're validating ourselves to maybe just ourselves, but we're doing it. (laughs) Just happy to be here, really. (laughs) Just pat on the back. I like it. Um, So, but yeah. So news and notes here. Um, We we've got some recruiting updates, and and the first one is kind of a bummer. Mm. Uh, Lonnie White, he was going to be coming in as possibly a contributor for this year's class, uh, freshman class. Uh, he decided that he's going to play baseball with the Pirates. Yeah, he got drafted, uh, I think he was like 30th overall, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, he took the money. Play, play song, whoa, take the money and run. Um, the, the, it, it was, I can only imagine that Franklin utilized name, image, and likeness as a possible bargaining chip through all of this and probably promised him some playing time as a freshman. I guarantee he promised playing time as a freshman to probably try and keep him. But he was very supportive, at least via social media, um, which is all we have to go off of. Uh, he was very supportive of Lonnie White's decision um, to to join the the Pittsburgh Pirates. But uh, yeah, that, that pretty much does it. That was our that was our number one um, ranked recruit out of the state of PA uh, in our 2021 recruiting class. He was by far and away our top skill position recruit from uh, the 2021 class, and he was our second highest ra- rated recruit, uh, just just um, behind Landon Tangwall. So that's a, that's a bummer. He was he was. From what, everything that I heard, he was an electric athlete, and uh, whether he was going to play re- wide receiver or safety, who knows in the long run. But he would have definitely helped Penn State be a better be a better program. I imagine it's gonna it's gonna sting a little bit, but I think we got some some players to fill the, fill the shoes and fill the void. So, not a total loss. Not a total loss. Uh, that said, um, you know, and and I was very much looking forward to seeing him, but. Um, 
that doesn't um, that was the 2021 class the guys that are going to be hitting the field well right about now but the 2022 class um, which is which is still uh, being finalized um, Penn State has stayed hot I mean July was like an off the charts um, uh, recruiting month for Penn State and um, that, that's continued to, to a lesser extent in August Um but they're still way up the rankings in terms of the 22, 22 recruiting uh, classes. Uh, I, I think I, I've, I think they're still number one in the two four seven composite rankings. They are number one in the two four seven composite rankings behind or in front of Notre Dame and Ohio State. Yes, because Ohio State had a decommitment, a pretty significant right. one, so that uh, bu- bumped us above Ohio State and bumped Ohio State below Notre Dame. But we, you, you had mentioned that oh, I think Penn State has uh, the most um, force or four star recruits. Uh, in their class, and currently uh, Notre Dame has climbed to one more than us. They have fifteen yeah. four-star recruits to our to our fourteen. But like, but, I mean, who but cares? still, very very high quality. And you know, I, I think it's likely that as you know, the rest of the um, big programs, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, fill out there. Like they have more room than Penn State. Penn State's kind of filled up their. Um, class a little more. Yeah, we, are, we have twenty four recruits right now, which is like we're pro- so, we might be able to get like two or three more tops. I, I think, especially with the way, right. especially with the way that these um these numbers get shifted and you know it's this weird inexact science playing this like oh how many recruits can we get per year and it's like especially now with like um how the rosters are being managed differently with with um. You know, we p- people transfer, um, and yeah. and and then of course last year there were no scholarship. Uh, oh, how, how did it work last year? No, yeah, every, yeah, it didn't count against yeah, your exactly. eligibility. So that, that makes things weird. And then I think what what could even we could even start seeing moving forward is this whole like scholarship limits might become a thing of the past because the, BYU. And I, we, Andy, I haven't told you about this, and maybe you've seen it, but... Be- no, no, we shared a text message about Did it. Did we? Okay, well, then everyone listening may, may not have seen our text messages, but... So, BYU, some, like, protein bar company, and, I, and I'm, I'm kind of uh, hazy on the details of this, as I think I only read the... Which is what I do. The read the headlines. Classic. Yeah. Um, I also just can't read, so... Um, I saw a picture, and I, I deduced my own conclusions. So, uh, the this protein bar company um, is going to basically pay for all the non-scholarship athletes to have scholarships, essentially. They're going to cover whatever... Yeah, cover their tuition. That's insane. So, like, yeah. you know, with this name-image-likeness stuff... If they can erase for a school like BYU, which is obviously like a, a premier school in U- in Utah, and and their national brand, I would I would say you know Steve sure, Young absolutely. went there, you know, um, if you Wasn't can wipe Detweiler, Ty Detmer. Detweiler. Oh, right. Wow. Right. What? Well, I was Dead close. Wild. So if, if you can wipe out the tuition needs of all your players off scholarship. What's the point of having scholarship limits? Yeah, think about that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who wild, knows wild how West. that how that looks Speaking moving forward? BYU. Who knows how who knows how that looks moving forward? Yeah. Anyways, so the on. other thing that is that is kind of interesting in terms of like how recruit 
and recruiting rankings play into your team. Uh, Mike Porman um, had a really interesting article from statecollege.com where he just looked over, you know, kind of what happened to all of Franklin's recruiting classes throughout his um, coaching tenure at Penn State. And he found that fully one third of Franklin's recruits leave the program at some point during Franklin's Precisely one third? I, I mean, yeah, almost exactly. Like, wow. so, so, but like, if you think about that, it's like, oh, well, we've got this great class or we've got this poor class. Like, there's still a lot of sorting that's going to happen in the next four or five years. Uh, some of these guys will go, you know, go away. Some of these guys will leave the program. Some of these guys will transfer. I mean, some of know? our biggest so, recruits have left, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Justin Shorter, Ricky Slade. I mean, yeah. Lance I Dixon just Ricky went to West Slade. Virginia. I saw Ricky Slade wasn't even on the Old Dominion roster. roster? Yeah. Yeah, what's he doing? What happened was, there? I don't know. But anyway, so, you know, some of these guys are, are swing and miss, and some of these guys, of course, are home runs. But, um, uh, you know, it's – so you take some of these things with a grain of salt, but but it, it can't hurt to have a top-rated team, you know, in the top 10 class or whatever it ends up being. Uh, it's a good sign for, you know, the next few years for sure. I mean, a lot um, of people like to think like, oh, it's Franklin, you know, not like, you know, the coaches aren't getting the most – dude, there's so much that goes into being a college coach and and leading young men. Like, these kids don't always – end up doing what their coaches ask of them or what their parents ask of them and and you can't you can't control kids that are becoming or young adults that are becoming adults it's like so it's a it's a crapshoot you know even Nick Saban has had some of his top recruits not pan out as as great football players uh in any way so it's not just Franklin this happens to coaches across the entire country yeah um Speaking of things happening to coaches across the entire country, uh, another big bomb that was dropped in the last few weeks um, was the realignment bomb of Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. There was some question; it was some rumor last at our last episode. We were we were talking about it as it wasn't nearly a done deal, mm-hmm. but um, guess what? It's a done deal. You tell me, tell us. It's definitely happening. Yeah. The SEC is definitely have they have invited Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma and Texas those schools. Well, so what's been the fallout from that since Andy? Well, there's a lot been a lot. (laughs) Yeah, there's been a lot of things going on. So, um, you know, they looks looks like they haven't tried to break their current TV contracts. So it's still a few years out. I mean, all things being equal, it's still a few few years out till this actually happens. But I can only imagine how challenging that's going to be to for the for the, I mean, the big program to stick with the Big Twelve. Big I, I think it. it I think done. it is. It's there's no it, it, there's no you know, way there's no way. It's one of the over. interesting things that was that came out, and I haven't heard anything more about this. But but pretty shortly after this, the Big Twelve sent a cease and desist letter to ESPN for like meddling. With that they they their, said they had the Big Twelve commissioner said they have proof of this meddling. Yeah, I mean think yeah, about of it. Them. If if you're the Big Ten or excuse me the Big Twelve, and like Texas and Oklahoma leaving means you get X amount of dollars because they're breaking contract. Like what's yeah? And ESPN's like baby is the SEC. Well, ESPN, ESPN stands to gain yeah. college football. Not entirely. Not entirely. Not entirely. But like, 
I mean, the, entirely. the, the best and biggest – I mean, they got Big Ten, part of Big Ten. They've got ACC. They've got Big 12. They've got, they've got the AAC, and yeah. they've got the SEC. Yeah, but they don't, they, don't, they don't have it totally cornered, in my opinion. Um, no, but like enough, right? So the, enough the where is, they can manipulate. Well, they, just, they don't want to have to have – they don't want to have to have Texas and Oklahoma, and Texas and Oklahoma doesn't want to have to have th- them pay their exit fees to the Big 12. So right, ESPN right. meddling in trying to get all these other uh, universities from the Big 12 to basically leave for the American Conference? Yeah, uh, basically their allegation is that they're, they're actively trying to undermine... Yeah, the so they don't have to pay the, fine. Of the So Big the Big 12, 12 is absor- is totally dissolved by the time any any money would need to be paid to the Big 12 because they don't exist anymore. So the Texas and Oklahoma are free of, you know, those rights. <laughs> yeah. know? It, 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 I mean, it's it's a it's a mess. And well, the um, mess is I, only know, beginning. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we're not investigative journalists, but we yes, just we are. certainly I am. encourage. Uh, oh no, I are am. you? Oh, big time. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. So here's also your assignment: conspiracy you, journalist theorist. Yes. It, with all these things, exactly. that's, let we me talk, definitely let me need more of that. <laughs> but uh, any, it, I, I, any um, real investigative journalists out there who want to who want to dig into how ESPN has its tentacles into every corner of major college football? I think that would be well. Andy, would be the real fallout, in my story. opinion, is not just the Big Twelve dissolving, which they will. Which is going to happen. It's it's it's, it's inevitable. It's, What's going to happen, in my opinion, is, you know, there's been talks like, oh, is the Big 12 and the Pac-12 going to partner? I don't think so because the Big 12 just won't be available to partner with anyone because they have no, they have no pool, they have no markets, they have no, they, they have, have no market share, no major get brand. Absorbed that, by yeah. either the Pac-12, the ACC, and the, or and the and or the Big Ten, a combination of all three of them, maybe, or m- maybe a hand, or they'll whatever. just end up being a a lower tier conference. Mm, don't even see that happening. Per- or getting getting absorbed into the AAC. Or I mean, something think about like it. Why why would any of those schools in that in the Big Twelve want to be part of a lower tier conference after that? Like, you think Iowa State wants to be part of a lower tier conference? You think Oklahoma State wants to be part of a lower? T- Kansas wins national championships in basketball. Yeah, they're not I, going to a lower. That's a good tier point. Conference. I think I think they're going to be floating their, you know, they're going to they're going to be floating their dance card around to yeah. some of the other major major conferences. I think well, we're going to end up with with four. four yeah. Power conferences, yeah. and um, to that point, the other kind of big kind of rumor that just sort of hit the hit the circuits, and you know, gosh, I don't really even know how much stock to put into these rumors because sometimes it's like I put a lot of people stock seem to have, yeah, yeah. I so, put but, a lot but of stock into this one. You're about basically that the Pac-12, ACC, and Big Ten are putting together some sort of an alliance. Well, and no, that they're that alliance... high, they're, that's not exactly what they're s- saying is... is Okay. They're what saying they they're saying high, involved in high-level high talks level. about the possibility of, of forming a three-conference alliance with the Pac-12, ACC, and Big Ten, which... I feel like that's basically what I said, but yours, you're probably... They're, well, they're look. not... They're not... <laughs> they're just talking right now. Yeah, so the yeah, implication is that the rumor. they, yeah. So, so in my opinion, the this alliance basically ends up forcing the hand of the SEC to then join them because it's three against one. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this like creates some sort of superstructure. But basically, what they're trying to do is a 
um, protect their television. Totally. Uh, LA. Uh, right. You know, you know and, and make sure, like, I, you know, I heard one, I read LA one New article York, that said, look, they're trying to schedule more marquee non conference games right. so that, like, the SEC can't dominate. The, you know, every weekend with all right. of their big matchups. Right, right. Um, but the other thing would be um, kind of setting um, the, 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 the rules of the road, especially when it comes to, you know, some standards for scheduling, standards for how you get into the conference uh, for, or how to get into the playoffs and those kinds of things so that, you know, if there are four major power conferences feeding into the playoffs, three – conferences outweighs the vote of one if they can if they can hang together on major issues so mm-hmm. um but again will this will this eventually m- meld into some sort of more formal like replacing the ncaa kind of formal structure Most likely that's my um, maybe it takes 10 yeah, we'll 15 see. years i don't know but like this yeah. possible partnership alliance whatever you want to call it i think it will force the sec to be to be like well we have to partner with them and we don't have all the power if we have to par- if we are going to be partnering with them, you know. Because I think this Texas Oklahoma thing is about having power, having more power than anyone else, having more money than anyone else. They trying to you know the Big Ten's been you know far and away the the you know leading revenues, and and you know the bringing Texas and Oklahoma in. While by the way, while Texas is you know not a premier program <laughs> like they think they are. They do command. Right. They do command an audience, a national audience. Yeah, they a do. national audience yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll we'll have to keep keep an eye on that. We'll see if anything fun happens with that. We'll we'll keep everyone posted. And it, um, it's just interesting that that's right. I'm sorry to bring you back into this, but it's interesting that it's on the heels of that idea of a twelve, you know, play, twelve team playoff. Yeah, it's like right. That kind of that kind of completely smashes that to to, to well, bits. And the SEC commissioner was was a key player in that whole conversation. Yeah. Which obviously this this alignment, this realignment, like he knew about this. It shifts it all. It, it he's it, known it about it for that. months. Like who cares right. about who who cares about um you know the 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 championship uh or sorry the um. The, the have-nots, the the group of five, if you're going to be forming the super right. conferences. Who cares? Right. If, you know, you're, you're already uh, – it's just it, – it made no sense. It's well, very, and it's the curious. other thing is that, you know, you're taking away the Big 12, who's provided one of your conference champions. So you just take the and, top uh, two from every every one of these power – Four, you know, power yeah, four yeah, conferences. Interesting. What's the point? Well, like I was saying, I don't remember if we said it on the air here, but like, why not just let the conference championship game be your play-in game? Yeah, yeah. Right? So, Man, I just, anyway. All I want to well, see, all I want to see moving forward is, is, you know, the, the, the games mattering. <laughs> all the games matter. Yes. All the this, games matter. This baloney, like, I test crap going away. Like I don't want to. I don't want to see the, these these settle rankings. Settle on the field. Settle it on the settle field. I don't see these rankings the mattering nearly as much as as it has been and and does continue to. And I want to see home playoff games. That's what I want to yes. see. Yes, that what I was the best see. thing to come out of that yeah. 12 conference because or 12, there's uh, not team the, playoff. You, you know what's not exciting? Um, uh, the, the uh, what is it like? Watching partially filled stadiums. Watching and, Memphis play Penn State in the Cotton Bowl, like. I, yeah, that's not actually ex- filled. Yeah, that's just stupid. Yeah, Dallas but you want right? you want yeah. to know what would be amazing is um, 
Like, uh, we, we kind of got oh. lucky in this when Penn State played USC in the Rose Bowl because that was a USC home game. But Basically. That, that was, was cool to see. Like, it was that, cool. It was, we I mean, it wasn't cool there. to be no, losing the end cool of that. But, lose. but it was cool but to it was see a filled two stadium. powerhouse teams. The entire, yeah. the entire city of USC fans was available to, yeah, just to, ima- just to buy tickets to that game. Florida State playing Michigan at, at Michigan – in yeah, December. Man. Oh, yeah. Let's right? see it. Imagine uh, Miami playing, um, I'm just, you know, Washington in December. In, you know, in Washington. <laughs> yeah. No, that'd be, be so awesome. cool. That'd be so cool. All right. We've got to move on here. We have to. Um, uh, one little last uh, news and notes item. We just learned today that our good friend Will Levis is going to be the starting QB for the Kentucky Wildcats. So I mean, um, QB number one. Good, good for job, him. Will. That's amazing. It's, yeah. It sucks that's that we won't have him at, you know, backing up as a Clifford. Backup. Right. But, you know. Let's it, hope he has a better um, better time as a starter than Tommy I think Stevens. he'll do well there. I think he'll. I think he'll, his talents will be on display well at, at, in Kentucky. Yeah, we wish him the best. not a bad program. We wish him the best. They're not, they're not, you know, Penn State level, but, I mean, he'll, he'll get a chance to play some pretty – Pretty big games down there against some pretty serious opponents. So we do wish him the best. All right. So um, so that's it for news and notes. And, um, and now we're going to turn to the offense. And we're going to start with uh, a new segment. Um, we, we do a lot of this kind of thing throughout our podcast, but we're having a focus segment. Um, we're calling this a blue and white breakdown. Blue and white breakdown. Man, yeah, man, you you we're win an award. Down. You win an award. Thanks. You win the breakdown we're, award. So we're <laughs> so we're gonna break down uh, um, Yursich's offensive scheme, and um, this really kind of grew out of uh, Tom and I kind of really wondering what we're gonna see. What? How does? How is Yursich different from the previous coaches we've seen? What is he gonna run? What can we expect? And so um, we've done a little bit of research. Um, we've we've you know utilized articles and and videos we found online so none of this is really you know all that new but we're kind of consolidating for you if you haven't had a chance to do it yourself um some of the some of the key things about uh about mike yersich's offense so you kind of have a sense of what to look at uh, and to look for um when we when we see the guys take the field so um let's start with what i think is my in my opinion is the biggest difference from everything you've watched Penn State do on offense during the Franklin era. And that is that whereas every single um, snap you've seen for a running play up to this point has been an inside zone. And if you don't know what that is, we'll talk about it in just a, just a second. If you don't know what that uh, is, Mike, go look at the Ohio State game from 2017 when Saquon Barkley couldn't run anywhere to save his life. That's the inside zone. <laughs> yes. And and you and I have really, really hated the Penn State running scheme for a long time. Um, but what Yursich does is he runs an outside zone. So... Um, Tom, can you tell us what the difference between the inside zone and the outside zone is? I mean, <laughs> um, so <laughs> picture something inside something and then picture something outside something. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. 
So the outside zone, obviously you're, you're stretching it like kind of towards the tackle more instead of inside the tackle. It's out. You're kind of wanting to, to make that read outside the tackle so that they, that the running back has the ability to see that outside lane, outside the tackle, and the quarterback can can also see that outside lane, outside the, the, the outside tackle, and make that call of keeping it, passing it, or handing it off. And then instead of just punching it straight between you know the guard in the center or the guard in, and the tackle, you're looking t- to draw that outside, and then you can make a cut to cut against the grain back towards the middle, and hopefully there's a lane there to bounce it to the second and third levels. Yeah, so more you know, or the, less. How I how I kind of saw that, and I, this is new to me, um, so I'm still learning. I, if you if there's a real intelligent football person out there, and you're going to hear us talking, I'm like you guys don't know what you're talking about. Well, that might be. Yeah, true. we're not we're not smart. We're the on the dumb side of the <laughs> spectrum. <laughs> So, um, but but the, how I had it explained to me is that on the inside zone, when the running back gets the ball, they're first of all going straight to the spot that the center was standing in. Like the offensive line may have moved as they start their blocking, but they're going to hit the line of scrimmage where the center was. So right down the inside of mm-hmm. you know the offensive and defensive formation. Um, and and the idea is that if you can hit that inside quick enough with the right block, you know, you can squirt through and and uh, make a big play um, or at least get a, a few good yards. Problem has been, I think, in the Big Ten, with the defenses that we face and the size of the bodies we face so many times. How many times, bro? Oh, have I, you watched I, that run actually, play go and like literally go no? I actually have a giant it's buck knife that I gouge on my chest every time, and, and I'm running out of space. I'm running, and I got a big chest. <laughs> like you, you're, like your tick marks to figure out yeah. to see how many. Yeah, yeah. it's painful, and it's painful yeah, to watch, painful and it's painful to then to to rehash <laughs> on my chest. <laughs> so, so the outside zone, you know, uh, what the 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 mark for crossing the line of scrimmage for the running back is between the tackle and the tight end. And there may not always be a tight end, but like sort of that where spot the right would be. where the tight end would be like that's there. They make a beeline for that spot. So the scheme um, it revolves around the concept of doing that more often correct. than not, if not entirely. So, so what that means is, is um, first of all, I think the idea is you're getting your running back automatically into more space because you're getting them outside the line of scrimmage. So again, the offensive line and the the defense and the linebackers, like they're moving as well, but like you're already moving toward a spot where there's where there's more space to run. Um, and I, I think it'll be interesting to just to, to, to watch us kind of use the athleticism of our skill players and to a certain extent the athleticism Did- of our line. Did, did was there some Penn State uh, talking head that that may have mentioned that that this would have been the perfect, um, like running scheme for for which former Penn State running back who who was it? Uh, Saquon Barkley was it? Yeah, yeah, okay, like Saquon Barkley would have completely destroyed defenses, um, in an outside on zone. the outside zone. Yeah, and who else? Yeah, I mean that. Oh, how many Derrick, Derrick Henry runs in, runs in the outside zone. Der, the how ten- many play? Man, Henry's a beast. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That, that that's how like Henry is the prime example for the perfect kind of outside zone running back. He takes 
you know, the, that, that cutback, he makes one cut and he's running downhill the rest of the yeah. time. You know, yeah. the other thing, and this That's is what fascinating. Saquon Barkley was. He was a one cut, oh, man. boom, one cut back. Yeah, you know, and and yeah, it would have been fun to watch him. I mean, how many of his plays did he actually turn into an outside run play because the inside? That's was all he did up. was run outside. You, you <laughs> right? put him all inside. He's like, I'm going out. I'm going outside. Like, uh, no, stop. <laughs> yeah, well, why don't you give him an outside, you know, scheme? Seriously, maybe he would have, you know, yeah, ripped so them I, all. Up. I, I'll be interested to see. You know, obviously, we you also are facing. You know, linebackers and and D backs who are strong and fast in the Big Ten as well. But I think, I think doing things to get outside of that, you know, congested area in the middle. That uh, I'm hopeful. So that'll be fun to watch. Um, the other thing is that um, this this outside zone scheme uh, uses a lead blocker uh, almost right. all the time. Right. So, so um, when he was fullback? at Oklahoma State, they called it. Um, the the cowboy back, so sort of like a modified fullback, but yeah, it was a lead blocker. It wasn't always in like an eye position. A lot of times, it was sort of offset. Um, they call it at Penn State. You can't uh, can't call it the lion. Call it the anymore. lion. <laughs> <laughs> the well, lion called the is the worst back. position ever. The, the nitney, nitney back. back. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I got nickel back. <laughs> the blue back. Um, uh, I don't so, like that. <laughs> so, well, interestingly anyway. enough, I, I, you know, like, did they have a fullback? Did they use a fullback? Is that what was the, was he a typical fullback when when he was not? It was not as large as a typical fullback. Okay. It was more but he, of a but he was smaller, a shiftier. But I mean, effectively, the the role of a of a fullback type lead blocker. Well, so it's interesting that I, you know, I just um, for you know. The fun of it, my you know, our dad and I watched a game from 1997 the other day. Um, that sounds fun. It was. It was the Penn State Ohio State game from '97, and it, you was know, that the one where we destroyed them. No, that was '94. That was the '94 mm. season where we uh, like okay. 70 to 13 or something <laughs> like that. It was yeah. or 63 to 13. Um, yeah, 63. I, I initially, it. I initially thought it was that game, but then he, my, you know, Dad's like, ah, oh, that was the '94 game. But this was a great game. Um, you, you know, we had Curtis Enos and Aaron Harris in the backfield. Nice. You remember Aaron Harris? Oh yeah, dude. Aaron Harris. We, I, I remember was the greatest fullback always, that yeah. we have ever had. Maybe I mean, you know, obviously Franco Harris was a fullback technically. We've had like, a lot and, of good fullbacks, but but we but, but we yeah. ran we ran Franco Harris more like a running back than a fullback. And but Aaron Harris was like just a bulldog, and he had speed. And I miss having that position on our field. So maybe there's a chance that we see like what like is Kevon Lee going to be playing a like a hybrid fullback role it'll be interesting to see i don't know i don't know who who runs into that role but um you know the difference between you know the old penn state fullback oriented offenses and this one is that this is about speed um, spread. you know and and spread and and that sort of thing but um yeah to get a lead back a lead block um uh, you know, again, there've been a lot of times where it, it's felt like, oh man, you just don't have enough blockers. You don't have enough room to make these yeah, holes. There's, and a, so there's be... a tackle behind the line of scrimmage, like waiting, waiting at every turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, all right. So here's the other thing. This is interesting. The question, uh, you know, Mason Rudolph was the quarterback that um, Yersich coached um, and had a tremendous amount of success with. Um, Mason Rudolph didn't run. He was not a running quarterback. So one of the questions we had is, you know, does Yurisich's scheme allow for a running quarterback? And, it, you know, would that be a pro or a con either way? And what what 
we kind of looked at is that um, the the year Mason Rudolph uh, graduated, there was a, a new quarterback that came in for Oklahoma State, uh, Taylor Cornelius, in 2018. And whereas um, Sounds like a Mason British. Rudolph, yeah, right, Taylor Santa Cornelius, Cornelius at your service. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas uh, in 2017, uh, Mason Rudolph had 35 yards rushing, whopping 35 yards rushing. Um, the next year, uh, uh, Taylor Cornelius, Taylor Cornelius. Uh, has, had 430 yards rushing. So same significant coach, rushing yardage for same offense, yeah. but a different quarterback. And and you know, it seems like you know Yursich is his offense is capable of. Um, Accounting for a quarterback who's good at well, running. He, uh, Justin Fields' first year at Ohio State, he was a part of the offensive game plan. He was one of the offensive right. coordinators. Right. And last year they had, uh, was it Ellinger at Texas when Yersich was at Texas? And yeah. And I think Sam, Ellinger was a lead rusher on that team or something I, like he that. May, he very well might have been. I mean, and Sam Ellinger, I believe, is um, vying for uh, a possible starting role currently right now in the NFL. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, somebody went down with that never really lived up to his full promise, I thought, you know? I mean, like, they were also, hoping he, he would be the guy to take him. He offensive coordinator, like, many years yeah. ago, like Gee, uh, sounds, Sean Clifford, mm, you know? Yeah. Continuity is a thing, man. Yeah. So, so anyway, it looks like, you know, whereas we've always been a little skeptical of how much the um, QBs have run, been run at Penn State, um, it looks like um, while Yersich's office doesn't require it, uh, it is capable of, of utilizing that. And so we'll, it'll be interesting to see how much uh, they rely on the QB run this year. Listen, but I would expect we all that know we're going to run the ball. We're going to see it. Clifford's going to run the ball, but he shouldn't be running nearly as much as he has been because we have, you know, how many running backs? You know, we have, how many oars have we seen in the depth chart over the last year? <laughs> <laughs> or 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 yeah, and, or you know I, you got lots of running backs that they all and, can you know play. as as we've heard um, from all the um, coordinators for the last few years like when you run the quarterback you have a numerical advantage right so well that's you, when one you run of the, the when you run the quarterback and you have no quarterback with starting experience behind him you're yeah, at a numerical that's a disadvantage great point that's a great <laughs> so. point you know you, you do want to see in a year like this one where you don't have an experienced well levis behind clifford um maybe you're going to be a little more careful to protect the qb so uh it'll I mean, be interesting could, to see and but we could see you know we could see sean clifford just get benched not even, not even injured. We could see Sean Clifford get benched. So it's like, I mean, are they, do they care about running him just to win games, or are they trying to save him so they don't have to play it's tape an on interesting Point. It's kind of like I guess we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah. Um. But but the offensive scheme can account for a, a quarterback who's able to run. So I expect we'll see it at least in some ways. Well, Taquan Roberson is a running quarterback too, and he's our backup. So I imagine that they will be trying. You know, you only get so many. You know, snaps and reps and, and practice, like, with the offense you want to run with your starting quarterback, it probably makes sense efficiently to run the same offense for your backup quarterback. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we'll talk about uh, quarterback depth when we get into the uh, position breakdowns. But um, speaking of quarterbacks, the, the last kind of important thing to recognize about 
um, Yersich's offense is that it is, in addition to being an outside zone running offense, it is a true RPO, meaning run pass offense. And so on a lot of plays, in addition to a running play, there's also a passing play that can be called based on what the offense uh, sees in the defense. So um, this is the sim- something similar we've seen in the years past. Um, you know, I-, I felt like Clifford in particular has not been great at using the passing option when it's there. And it'll be well, interesting to see if some of the different looks that Clifford gets and some of the different options that in the scheme it, it invites Clifford to kind of throw a little more often rather than like handing off into the teeth of the defense and getting a you know it, it's felt well, like in the past he hasn't made the right the right read on that right yeah we don't have the time to break down his film and, and give you the statistics of how many times he makes the wrong read but it's probably better than 65 percent of the time i would imagine <laughs> um he makes the wrong read so um just a guess that's, just a, a, rough that's a little high in my mind but <laughs> you think i'm gonna say 65 percent i would say like 30 percent 30 percent of the so, time he makes the so, wrong read so you know kirk shirak is out Kirk Shiraka's offense seemed to be slower developing plays oh, yeah. w- within this whole RPO passing attack. Like Clifford just, you know, so just to... Yeah, yeah. He, he'd like stand back there and like, it, it's like he was reading the Sunday paper. <laughs> yeah, and obviously on the run before he was able to finish page one. So... <laughs> You know, Yursich's offense um, is widely regarded as, you know, being more of a, like, quick read passing attack, yes. right? Yeah. Pa- faster developing one. plays. I mean, this his off- he, he touts this whole, like, you know, fast-paced and, um, uh, you know, no-huddle fast-paced stuff. Like, they want to move the ball quickly and get set up and hike the ball and move the ball quickly and, you know, get set up, hike the ball and move the ball quickly. And these long, slow-developing plays doesn't, you know, th- that doesn't play to that whole quick, fast-paced offense. So that's what Yursich wants from his his offense is a higher-paced, um, you, you know, at, at all times. He wants this thing to be moving quickly. So you can keep, keep keep the defense on their heels, keep the defense gassed, and just keep, yeah. keep rolling downfield. Yeah, so it's an ultra-wide spread where the receivers are almost on the like edge of the boundary. Like, they're almost out of bounds. Um, and so they're spreading teams real wide. They're running real quick. They're, they're basically putting the defense in a tough spot where, you know, ideally – Sean Clifford or whomever the quarterback is, is going to be able to, you know, have some spots on the field where their receiver will be open. Um, And the other thing is that not only does the quarterback have the option, but um, the receiver also has an option in terms of how he runs his route based on what he sees in uh, the, you know, the defensive back. So, you know, maybe if the defensive back is playing outside they cuts inside to to do a post and it, that the post is open or if the defensive back is playing inside they run a fly route on the outside and and so you know there are a lot of options and the idea is you basically find some way to exploit the defense and space. Um, in space in, in space exactly yeah. and you know so with our our skill Athletes on in, on running back and in wide receiver, I think you know we, this has a potential to be a really exciting offense. Um, 
there is a lot of downfield passing in your such a scheme, which to me is awesome because last year I was endlessly frustrated with Sharaka basically having no downfield passing. Dinking almost. and dunking. Oh, it was dinking and dunking and and like even Bubble when screens. there was like downfield passing um routes happening, like Clifford was was getting sacked or chased before, you know, you had a time for it to develop. And so I'm excited. I'm excited. It seems to be dynamic, aggressive, fast paced, you know, high impact. And bro, there is a potential for huge numbers coming out of this offense. Yeah. I mean, astronomical, like unlike we've anything we've seen at Penn State. And, so and we well, we've seen decent we well, we've seen better than decent. We've seen really really good with Joe Moorhead. That was like revolutionary in the Penn State historical landscape it was of awesome. offensive firepower. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean truly we have that that team, you know, Gesicki and Chris Godwin and Deshaun Hamilton, um obviously Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, those guys produced big big time numbers and went on to, and they're having all pro NFL careers. So yeah, well, we got to, if we're I producing an know, offense, that, if we if we have an offense producing better numbers than those dudes, yeah, you know what? What's, yeah, so so at the height of um, Yersich's uh, time at Oklahoma State, the Mason Mason Rudolph's senior season, check this out. Yeah, nearly five thousand yards passing. Five thousand yards passing. Yeah. Trace's best year. What was Trace's best year? Like thirty-seven, something, something like that. Thirty-five. Yeah. And I, I remember, I remember hearing that Trace's dad was like, "We want Trace to have, you know, for his senior season, we're gunning for the goal of four thousand yards and forty touchdowns." So, I mean, you know, five thousand—that's like <laughs> five thousand yards passing, and thirty-seven passing touchdowns that year as well. That's a lot. Just incredible. And, and oh. Also, Justice Hill, their running back, he his senior season, he had over sixteen hundred yards rushing. Yeah, which is that's more than any of our running backs have have gotten in, in the last uh, in terms of actual rushing yards. Yeah, what was what's the, I mean, what's the last Penn State back that had over I mean, sixteen hundred rushing was, yards? He, I he had like know, fifteen or probably 14, Larry Johnson. Like yeah, or maybe even Tony Hunt. I don't. I don't know. Uh, yeah, did he have that Larry. much in a single season? It's possible. Tony Hunt was the but man. Royster also might have. I'm just saying, like, it's it's high-impact offense passing and running. Yeah. Well, if, here here's something that, by the way— If we can put it together, it's going to be awesome. Here's something that, by the way, we always, every year, make fun of with the Big 12 is that they don't play defense. So that's just something true. interesting to, to remember when, when hearing and talking about these numbers— it's just like yeah, welcome to the Big Ten, right? Well, we'll see. I mean, yeah. he also did it. He he did it for or with um, Ohio State. You know, he, you know, just uh, Justice, excuse me, Justin Fields had some pretty darn good numbers. So, you yeah, know, now we'll, we'll see. You know, and here's the thing: he's since he's left Ohio, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma State. He's been at two stops. He's been at at Ohio State. He's been at Texas. But and. Each of those stops, I think there's some question as to whether he's really had a chance to run the offense, his offense, because he was co-offensive coordinator at Ohio State, and Ryan Day was calling the plays. And then he was Tom Herman's offensive coordinator, but in a lot of ways, it really seemed like it was still Tom Herman's offense that he was running. So 
assuming Franklin gives Yersich the keys to the car, right? Let's him really put it together the way he wants it. You know, he's had a couple of years since he's been able to run his own offense. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what new wrinkles he develops, what he's learned from Herman and Day. Right. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how he takes the the players on the field that, that Penn State's able to put out there and, and how he modifies some of his concepts. But, you know, it, basically, you know, looking at and breaking down Yersich's offense, I mean, ah, I'm excited, dude. Yeah. I'm excited. The, the, prom, the, the hope is oh, always man. there. If we We're going to be undefeated, exec- Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to be undefeated. 13-0, baby. 13-0. and 0. <laughs> Or 15 is it these 15 days. 15 and 18-0. 27 and 0. Uh, man, what, All right. what scares me, by the way, about this new offensive coordinator, and obviously the last offensive coordinator, you know, was fired after season one, but what if he has the greatest, you know, <laughs> he's either fired or he's going to have the greatest Penn State offense in history, and like, and then he'll just get hired away. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, like, and that's dar- the way of the world these days. We're damned if we do, and, we're damned if and- we don't. Yeah. Well, I, I will say, um, yeah, if we don't, sucks. like, it may not just be Yursich's head. It may also be Franklin's. That's a little premature. I mean, I it, don't know. He's not going to bur- like, crash and burn from one season with with Yursich. I, I, he's going to have a little bit more Shiraka of a leash. And Ronnie, right? I'm, I mean, Ronnie I wasn't. That, I mean, we we talked crap about Ronnie quite a bit. I was an, annoyed at Ronnie, but Ronnie had a better offense than last year's. That's for sure. Yeah, two years of true. Ronnie was better than but, that, you know, Shiraka year. Well, I, like I said, if it's a crash and burn year, I mean, it's been a number of years of of uh, underperforming offenses, and um, I, 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 maybe, maybe not, maybe it Is won't that because be because of Franklin's expectations of because undoing? of Joe Moorhead's offense, though. Or I, did they? I, mean, I know last look, year they definitely underperformed. Did but did Ricky Ronnie underperform based uh, okay. on only look, expectations? Look, Look at Alabama, look at Clemson, look at Ohio State. I mean, all of these teams, what they have in common is an extremely high-performing, a high-efficiency offense. And, you know, Franklin's, you know, inability to put that on the field for Penn State um, when he's had some some decent talent, I think, is, a, is, is kind of an ongoing problem. And I think if Yersich you know, figures it out and gets Penn State up there to the level of those other programs um, Mm -hmm. with the innovation and creativity that that he's demonstrated in the past. I mean, that's going to be amazing. All will be forgotten. But if you kind of have another clunker of a year um, where you're just not performing well, then, uh, you know, it may be hot seat time for Franklin, you know. Um, even if he does win like, you know, eight or nine games, but if the offense doesn't really put up in the way it it doesn't run smooth, if it doesn't feel exciting, there's going to be rumblings. That's, that's just what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's right. The rumblings are there every single season. The rumblings are there every season. Well, this isn't about, this isn't about Franklin in any case, but here's the other thing though. Like this is Franklin's dream hire. Like Franklin said it. That's what we've been hearing. That's what we've been hearing. So pressure's on, but also let's hope Franklin knows what he's doing. He, he's proven to be a pretty good uh, identifier of talent up till now, um, you know, Kirk Sharaka notwithstanding. So um, let's hope. Let's yeah. hope, man. I'm, I'm excited. I'll, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like. And, um, yeah, so so that's your blue and white breakdown on uh, Mike Yersich's offense, and um, we'll wait to see what it looks like.
The offensive sitch with Mike Yersich. <laughs> He's it's our sitch. It's our sitch. <laughs> the blue and white brothers. All right. So, what what, so what, now what are we going to um, next here, man? Yeah, now we're going to take a, a you know, a, a closer focus in on each of the the positions that we're about to see and you know, one of the things I should say as we look into these p- positions um, and the uh, the position groups is that for the most part, we're going to be talking about guys that if you were paying attention last year, you already have heard these names and you already have kind of have a sense for, you know, what their potential is because um, there aren't a lot of new guys coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, some guys have gone out, um, so there might be some new starters um, and there's some be- certainly going to be some position battles, but, um, uh, you know, we're... Uh, Installing a new offense, but we're doing it with a veteran group, and and so maybe that helps with that. Um, I, bro, I want to talk about the line first. And a lot of times we don't give the line enough love. We maybe we'll talk to them, talk about them last whenever we're talking about the offense. But um, especially with installing a new offense, I think I think the line is gonna be essential. And you know, there was a quote that Yersich made. I think it was around media days that. Um, you know, and this is probably coach speak to a certain extent, but he says, you know, it all starts up front uh, by being physical and athletic, you know, so from your such's perspective, it, it starts with the line. And so I think it's a good enough reason for us to start with the line. So what are we going to see on the offensive line this year at Penn State, bro? Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's hear it. It's going to be the best Penn State offensive <laughs> line get through it. in James Franklin's <laughs> entire tenure at Penn State. <laughs> you couldn't even get through it with a straight face. <laughs> that is the, how, many years, the, that been? how uh, many years has that every been? Every single well, dude, it's like coming out of the the Bill O'Brien you know uh, regime. Oh, the, you yeah, know he where there was the, no it's, attention it's widely, to the line. It's yeah, it's widely regarded that he, you know, being an offensive lineman himself at Brown University, and I think he was even a you know he was an offensive line coach in the NFL for a period of time before he became the Patriots' offensive coordinator. You know, he overlooked recruiting the offensive line when he was ha- you know handcuffed by the NCAA sanctions with re- regard to scholarships. And, yeah, you and, know, and we didn't have for a number of field- years. McGloin was just, you know, McGloin and Hackenberg oh, were just getting he was battered, getting yeah. battered, and and Hackenberg was getting battered even under James season. Franklin, uh, you know, and then you know we we haven't had a an All Big Ten offensive line since the, you know it's maybe a while. The, it's been yeah, it's been a long while, been a long while. Um, so, but every year we hear about, oh man, this is going to be oh, the best offensive line be- <laughs> since at whatever date, you know. Really, and, I think it's since like 2017, right? Um, uh, Moorhead's second year, we were starting here. Oh, this this is going to be his best offensive line. We heard ever. that. We heard that b- b- before 2018 with Joe Moorhead. Yeah. We heard that in 2015. You know, so. We're waiting for it. We've been waiting for it for a long time. Well, look, you know, if the t- if it re- if if the if that has been true, it's certainly not resulted in performance on the field that's you know consistent with that reality. Now, after I've you know made <laughs> poked fun at that whole concept of the best offensive line since <laughs> or, you know. I I actually believe maybe it. we have some. and I've also however believed it every single year as well. Yeah, uh, fool me once, right? <laughs> fool me every single time. Uh, shame, shame on, on you, me. I guess still, um, but the shame can, the shame persists. Uh, 
I, so to my, to my everlasting to shame, I will <laughs> believe. <laughs> why is there this? reason to believe this year, bro? Why is there reason to believe? I mean, I think uh, that we've got guys with um, great experience and guys with great talent. And I think the position breakdown is such that, you know, Caden, it's the first time I think I can remember, I don't even know when the last time was we had two bookend tight uh, tackles. Caden Wallace on the right tackle and um, uh, oh boy, excuse me, Rashid Walker at left tackle. These guys are these guys are both NFL prospects. Rashid Walker, especially, he didn't he could have left. He could have gone to the draft this past year and likely been drafted at least I'd say by round three. But he's possibly being projected as a round one offensive tackle. I mean, that's contingent upon how good this offense is and how well he plays. But he's legit. Nick Kid's been playing since he was a true freshman. He's he's been playing left tackle at Penn State since he was a true freshman. Um, yeah, and there was, um, you know, I, I read an article or a redshirt freshman, maybe. I, I apologize. Uh, I read an article with him where he kind of said, yeah, he felt like he wasn't as consistent last year. He, you know, he had a he had a great sort of first year um, starting with Penn State, and then last right. year there was a bit of a drop off. Of course, there was, you know, Phil Troutwine came in, new techniques, maybe new offensive new scheme. new tack- new new blocking scheme. Yeah, so so, so yeah, it um, took him a minute, and the team was terrible. You know, but there. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a sense that like he's feeling like he's he wants to be back to form and and yeah and that would be amazing that like you said ta- bookend tackles on the left and the right I mean especially when you got you know the defensive ends from the likes of Wisconsin and Ohio State coming at you um, you know li- linebackers coming around the outside where you, you've got you know big athletic bodies that can keep the quarterback from getting mauled. Uh, that would be a plus. I think Sean Clifford would appreciate that, and so would we. <laughs> well, yeah, and we got, you know, um, so <laughs> Mike Miranda made the shift from guard, uh, and he's been starting at guard for a couple seasons now, and, you know, he's moving in behind uh, where Menert, who got drafted uh, to the NFL, Menert uh, vacated the, that center position, and M- Miranda moves in and takes over center duties as a you know redshirt senior. So we're talking a lot of continuity, at least in terms of like upperclassmen, uh, you know, in, in at some of these key positions on the offensive line with with a lot of experience. And and then you have Juice Scruggs, who's a redshirt junior, who's coming off of uh, what, what would have been a, a, a ton of experience last year, but he had a real bad car accident in the offseason, and, and he climbed his way back into a, um, a production role within the offensive line last year. And now he's had a full season Full off season to to recover and 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 with work with Troutwine and and you know rebuild his body to be able to be a, a Big Ten you know guard and and then we've been hearing a lot about Des Holmes uh, over the years and I, it's his turn to slide slide in and play a, a, a more um, you know I think you'll see the guards kind of um you'll see some rotation stuff happening with the guards and we got a guy coming over from Harvard a graduate uh, transfer Eric Wilson who's had starting experience uh, a ton of starting experience over at Harvard and then uh, Anthony Wiggin you'll see these guys um, both of them have a ton of experience and I think you'll you'll just see the the guards rotate a bit but those those big three uh, Rasheed Walker Mike Miranda at center and Caden Wallace at, at right tackle you'll see those guys um, holding it down while those guards rotate and stay fresh um, 
You know, I, I, I just feel it just feels like those tackles have the ability to to really be the keystones of a of a productive and and reliable offensive line. It feels that way. It feels that way. So, man, I hope so. Um, and and I, I think you're right. I mean. Uh, you know, with those two tackles, especially with the outside zone, that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, right. How like those tackles make a difference If these guys are as there, good right? as we hope they're going to be, then they then speaking of keystones, they 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 are the key to to an outside zone, you know, attack. Um, yeah. So so speaking of, I mean the 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 line, of course. Uh, plays a great deal into like how good your passing game is because are you going to get uh, your quarterback enough time to throw? But also like how about the running game? And let's let's shift to the running back room. And um, I mean, this is a case of Penn State, um, you know, just having uh, so much talent, um, you know, and um, you know, last year. Penn State was in a real, really tough spot with having their two starting uh, level court, uh, running backs in uh, Journey Brown and then Noah Kane on like his third running play get get injured and and already you're starting and then Devin Ford got injured like he was you know so like you're you're down to two true freshman running backs who actually found their stride by the end of the season and so now you're coming in with four experienced returning running backs plus. A really solid um, transfer running back in John Lovett. So you've got five like major college football caliber running backs, and um, with the Mike Yursich offense uh, doing the outside zone, uh, we might see a pretty fun running game this year. The question on my mind, bro, is uh, who's your starter? Who's your number one? Who's your main guy with all of those talented running backs in the backfield? Who, who, who you, you mean? Who is your daddy, and what does he do? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we did uh, that last year. We, yeah, I know. <laughs> we we well, already applied well, that so, joke. So I mean, and even to close out last season, Kaziah Holmes had seventy-seven yards rushing in that Illinois game with two touchdowns. Like these guys can perform. These guys can. Like he, he was. He's like slotted to potentially be our fifth string running back this year, and the guy <laughs> performed. He was a major contributor la- last year. Yeah, totally. So we got a lot of bodies. Uh, Franklin has just come out this week and said, you know, we're only trying to have. You know, we want to play three running backs. We want to have three in our, you know, prime rotation. Yeah, a three running back rotation. Right. Yeah. That's what so, that's what we're gonna. So see, do you think I they're think. all gonna get equal carries, or do you think you're gonna? We're, are we gonna have a lead dog, dude? You know, I just want. I know what you want. You want to have the lead guy, right? I want there to be a guy receiving eighty percent of the of the snaps. Who's it gonna be? I want to see Noah Kane receiving eighty percent of the snaps. Noah because, Kane. So Noah Kane is the man. Well, yeah, he is your man. Do you remember his freshman year? He said. Penn State freshman running back records in yards and touchdowns. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Derrick Henry, and like as a, uh, a Baltimore Ravens fan, um, we've watched Derrick Henry run all over the Baltimore defense. Uh, he gets stronger in the, for the more he punishes his two opponents. straight years. It is disgusting, and you know, and he is he is fast, and he is powerful and he just runs you over like a freight train i i from what i've seen of noah kane and in, in these video clips and the pictures of his you know muscular development uh 
he's reminiscent of a Derrick Henry type dude. I don't know if he's as tall as Derrick Henry, but uh, I mean, that's a he great is, comparison. He to me is reminiscent of, I, I, like I said, I was watching the 97 Ohio State game and, you know, Noah Kane's only five foot ten, but he's like two hundred and like almost thirty pounds. Kurt, that's Curtisinus weight. Curtisinus weight, but you know Curtisinus is also like I think six two or something like that. Um, but Noah Kane in these videos that I've been seeing of you know, him leading up to to Penn State preseason camp, he's been training with. I don't know who he's been training with, but they've been they've been getting after it, and he has been. He looks like a like a rabid bulldog. He looks like a hungry, wild dog. He looks like an aggressive, <laughs> ferocious, mean, nasty, quick, exp- it's explosive, like all of the above. And he looks like a, like a bowling ball. He I, like these, vi- I, I don't know how to, pu- I haven't seen this level of off season ferociousness from a Penn state running back. Like he looks like he's ready to run over people. And and I'm I'd watching. Love to see it. I'm love watching this game it. against Ohio State from '97 with with Curtis Enos just running people over, and that's one thing Noah Kane did. He did not try to avoid contact. You know, Saquon always looked to avoid contact, and not that he couldn't run someone over, but he's looking to like be in the open and hit his top gear. Noah Kane's top gear is through somebody, like <laughs> that. Like he is like an object that like gains energy when he's transferring his power through someone. So like, it's just, I, I want to see him be the lead dog like that. So if Saquon Barkley is like a formula one race car, uh, Noah Kane's a demolition derby. Yeah, it seems like it. And it's, I mean, I also awesome. just want to have that too, because it's been a while <laughs> yeah, since man. we've had a demolition. Punishing. Just, yeah, and that's demoralizing to a team like Wisconsin, who likes to dish that kind of if stuff. You pride out, yourself on being physical, and and you, you out yeah, like you, again, yes. like uh, like the Ravens, they they pride their defense prides themselves on being physical, and when you can't tackle Derrick Henry because he dominates you it is you demoralizing you're like sucked from you're you. like Let's what do we this do way. how we when, stop when this our guy? when our explosive big play offense was lighting it up against um usc in 2016 rose or well i guess 17 rose bowl um yeah. you know guess who was able to just march back on us because we didn't take up a lot of, a, a lot of time off the clock you know like here's the rest of the quarter for you to do what do what you want we got our quick easy seven points go get yours you know like but guess yeah. when Noah Kane, as a freshman, was implemented into the win the game game planning four minute offense. We he bled the he won clock the game from for Iowa. Us. He was yep. like a python. Yeah, yep. you know, definitely. so definitely. So you know, having a Saquon Barkley, it's electric. It's it's exciting. It's amazing, and I loved it. No one's trying to say well, we don't want Saquon Barkley, but that kind of run. Game yeah, to have does a, not have win you the game back. against Ohio State in 2017. Right. right. To have a running back that can get you three or four yards every time based on sheer determination, uh, you know, and power is, yeah, that's especially in the fourth quarter, right? And and what else have we seen happen with, the, with a rotation of running backs? We have seen the wrong running back march out onto the, the field at for, the for, wrong for, time. At the wrong time. Yeah. Like, oh, yep. D- Noah Kane just left the field 
with a hot hand for putting Devin Ford in, who hasn't gotten his legs under him yet? Like, just for the sake of the rotation? Just for the sake yeah. of having an or under between all these running backs' names on the depth chart? Just for the well, sake and of, not to, and like, for the and sake of not happen, losing him in the right. offseason? And this doesn't happen the early games. in the game. It doesn't happen early in the game, which is when you'd sort of expect to see some rotation, maybe figuring out who's going like to be the, out of the hand. Half. It's like, like fourth quarter. Put your number one running back out in the beginning of the first or the second half. Yeah. You- so it'll be interesting. To see. And, and then certainly Yursic, um, that might play into his offensive philosophy as well. I'll be curious to see how that works. But uh, who's behind to win the game? Who's behind Noah Kane if he's our number one? Um, that's a, t- that's a tough call. If I'm going off of what I've seen, ha- uh, like if I'm going off of what I've seen from players wearing the blue and white, I'd have to say Kevon Lee. Right. You know, but you know, we got a grad transfer in John Lovett from Baylor and he was mm-hmm. the three, mm-hmm. three out of four of the last seasons. He was the leading running back, leading rusher. And he, for he had like over a thousand yards last year for Baylor. Didn't yeah. He? He's, he's yeah. no slouch. And I so think this guy he, can run, you know, Kevon Lee is a like, uh, I mean, I know I've been hearing him talk about, and I'm hearing other coaches talk about how he's trying to prove that he's not just a you know a one trick pony in the sense that he's like a you know a bull a bulldog of a run running back you know big meaty you know he's trying to prove that he can catch the balls uh, you know out of the backfield and um, and do whatever else is asked of him you know to be a complete back. But you know, Kevon Lee is not going to outrun anybody. Apparently John Lovett's got some got another got another gear. I'm not saying he's Saquon fast, but he's going to be faster than I think Kevon Lee. And to have mm, a number two that might be a change of pace kind of running back yeah, that has yeah. ha- has a ton of experience. Um, it'll be just interesting to see who who wins that second uh, string. Uh, you know, running back job. If it's going to be Kevon Lee or John Lovett, I mean, I, I Devin Ford is still there. He's a he good back. He hasn't he's, shown. He's always anything. had a lot of potential, right? Potential, well, and here's right. the thing: the the wild card, I think, for me is the shift to the outside zone. Right? Like, does that who does that allow other people's? you know, other types of skill sets to become more valuable. So like Devin Ford, he he never seemed to be the kind of guy who could break a tackle very right. easily. He, he seemed to get knocked lost down in the or, middle. Right. But like he gets lost he in the d- middle. He does have speed and you know, so if he's if he's able to find a lane on the outside, is he someone who's like, oh wow, he's getting 10, 12, 15 yards on on a lot of carries because now his speed is more of an asset running the outside. That'll be interesting to see whether you know whether that's a factor or not. Um, but um, yeah, so the running back will be interesting. But like you, man, I'm I'm super excited to see Noah Kane, and uh, here's hoping he stays healthy and and is a real beast because we could use that. I mean, he just needs to he needs to be healthy. We need him to be healthy. I mean, I, All right, let's, I think we can have an effective run game with if he goes down on the third snap of the season. But we could be dominant if he's healthy. I, I think, I, so. dude, I, that's I'm my If I'm going to make a, uh, you know, uh, what is it, a hot take? Or if I'm going to, you know, predict something that will happen, I predict that Noah Kane is the next elite Penn State running back. I'm not let's, saying he's going to have 1,700 rushing let's yards do it. because they're going to try and run three running backs. But he is – I think he could – I mean, dude, when it was Joe Moorhead, like they didn't even play Miles Sanders. You know, right. it was it was Saquon. It right. was Saquon. You know, well, so – I guess if he's that dominant, they'll play him. Let's I hope. See it. Let's I hope. See it. 
All right, let's move on. Uh, let's do running backs and tight end. Excuse me, we just did running backs. Let's do wide receivers and tight ends together. It's interesting you group the tight ends with wide receivers. Why, 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 why did you do that? Why didn't you just continue off of the offensive line to the tight end and then into the wide receivers? Well, um, that's a really great question. I think in part because our tight ends um, are really, they seem like they're cultivated to be more of a receiving tight end than a blocking tight end in Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson. I mean, these are guys that can be... Well, that too, but... In any case, let's let's take these guys. I mean, wide receivers block too, bro. But they do. Um, let's, let's take but, our. You know, hold on, hold on. Bats, dude. Let's, let's just listen to me. Listen to me here. Listen, listen, listen. Just breathe. So one thing that was, I I believe, a huge breath of fresh air when having to to replace Pat Fryermuth last year was that these two kids, Theo Johnson and Brenton Strange, were extremely capable blocking tight ends. And that was, you know, a critique of a, a guy like Mike Kosicki. He was like, he's not blocking anything or anybody. And Pat Fryermuth, he was able to do blocking. He was able to do a bunch of blocking that that Kosicki that didn't. But these kids coming in here, I think they're going to be able to prove that they can be part of this, you know, wh- you know, if you want to call it that cowboy role, maybe they can p- help play that cowboy fullback hybrid role. That's a these fair kids- point. Will it be a running back or a tight end in that? In that position, I think that'll be and interesting these, to see. The, I think, I, and and one of these dudes, you know, Theo Johnson, is you know you you mentioned to me before he is a high ceiling. He's a yeah. really high ceiling. Brenton Strange solid across the board. Theo Johnson could be the next elite tight end at Penn State, but yeah, I he's, think he's like NFL caliber. And I think you know, that's based on metrics. his his like ability to be an, an, a, a dynamic and electric receiver. So right. if we're going to see how these tight ends are going to work at Penn State, I don't think we're going to see anybody outside these these two dudes really play a factor uh, in our tight end rotation. But I think you'll see that, that, that Theo Johnson is going to be stretching the field and maybe Brenton Strange is going to be that whether we have two tight ends in at a time, he could be a floater in the blocking sense and in the running scheme of, of what um, we're going to see from, from Yursich. So it's really interesting to have these two dudes who are both totally capable, but how are they going to be utilized with this new offensive coordinator in, in their like individually like specific um, yeah, skill sets? Yeah, it's a good point, and I think that's probably my biggest question mark is is how the tight ends are going to be used. Um, you know, I would say last year we were super excited uh, to have a weapon like Pat Fryermuth. Of course, he he goes on and gets injured, and we also had a new offensive scheme that you know basically face-planted uh, for the first five games. Um, so you never got to see the tight end be a big factor in the in the passing game in terms of seam right. routes and just using right. body size. Um, but So I don't know how Yursich is going to use the tight ends, but what we do know is that the Yursich passing game is electric. Right. It is dynamic. It is quick hitting it is big chunk plays and right. uh it's custom made for you know two guys by the name of Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington right right so let's talk about uh these guys and what we expect to see from from them as our our one and two ride receivers this year well uh we we kind of, let's let's talk about Parker uh i want to talk about Parker a little bit cuz i think we 
Let's do it. Let's talk. I think we. I think we. You know, and I'll get. I'll get into Jahan because he's. He's to me. He's elite. But Parker Washington, blew, like, burst onto the scene last year when we were so worried that we weren't going to have anyone at wide receiver. We weren't. We didn't even know we had elite Jahan Dotson. We didn't know he was going to be elite once he was thrust into that like primary wide receiver role. That, you know, wide receiver one. Um, Jahan Dotson, you know, blew the lid off of defenses. But Parker Washington. He's like, <laughs> I don't he know if you've seen. a couple big moments last year. Oh, well, he reliably, reliable. Good reliable. hands. Like, yeah. I'm not going to drop the ball kind of moments in key situations. Well, he's he's not very big in the sense that he's only five foot ten, but he's like, dude is built like a running back. I, I don't know if you noticed that about Parker. Is he's he's five uh, ten, but he's two hundred and fifteen pounds. Wow. And he, he plays like a running back. Once he has the ball, he plays like a running back. He's shifty and sees these seams differently than than wide receivers do who are just trying to, you know, get as many yards as possible. Parker's looking at like, you know, uh the way a the way a running back kind of like bounces a play, like, you know, sidesteps or 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 cuts or whatever. He's running the ball after he catches it like a running back. And it's really – and he's, he's he can take a hit too. And he's, he's not afraid to use his hands to go into traffic to get a ball. It's uh, And he's got really good hands. You know, last year totally. that's that's one of the things that separated him from a ball lot, of the, yeah, ball lot of the previous uh, receivers that we've, we've hoped why would we, come through. And, it's and why we an haven't seen Daniel George or Cam Sullivan-Brown, you know, Make their mark on on this program, yet is because they haven't been reliable uh, uh, catching the ball. They haven't they haven't done it enough. And 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 a true freshman Parker Washington comes in and you know makes big time catches uh, in big time moments of some of these big time games, and uh, kind of breeds confidence, uh, especially if you're <laughs> Sean Clifford, you know, um, getting the yeah, ball. I mean, out that's to your a receivers. big that's a big part of it too. Is like if you see a guy open, then you think he can make a, a contested catch. You know, right. you're a lot more likely to to pull the trigger than you know some guy who's constantly dropping balls in the open field. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, opposite Parker Washington, who is a huge surprise, and I, hopefully he'll take a, a big step up this year, is uh, Jahan Dotson, which in my mind, uh, you know, you know, we, we had let KJ Hamler go the year before, and I was a little – I didn't feel very good about Jahan being a number one receiver last year going into it. And, like, I, I was so wrong. Like, yeah. Jahan Dotson is – Amazing. He, I mean, he to me the key game. He might for be him, a better wide receiver than than KJ Hamler. Oh, I think he is. I mean, yeah, I think he's a better like KJ may be faster. So if he catches the ball and give, you know, he can he can be off and have a big play in a half a second. But yeah, KJ but, might be more exciting in in a specific moment. But in terms of a you know everything a wide receiver can do, Jahan's got him. I think. I, I mean, for me, the 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 signature. Uh, game for Jahan Dotson was the Ohio State game last year, where totally. although we lost that game, like Jahan went up against their number one shutdown corner, Sean Wade, Sean Wade, yeah, and he just put on a clinic. Like he caught ball after ball, like circus catches, multiple. And, like, I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, it was a coming out party I mean, it was like, for Jahan Dotson. It was like ESPN top 10 highlight reel. Like multiple catches he had against Sean Wade was, you know, he, he made Sean Wade look ridiculous a couple of times. Yes. Yeah. And this kid um, was going to be a like first round draft pick, but everybody I think thought he single handedly knocked him down to the fourth round. Fifth round. 
fifth whatever round. it was. Yeah, that game fifth rounded him essentially. <laughs> Seriously, so, everybody was, was like, "Oh, he didn't even have to come back for his um, junior or his senior year, whatever it was," and he did, and he lost money th- by way of Jahan Dotson on national television. So, so yeah. you know, it just it, it put Jahan Dotson on the map as just a, a, a huge playmaker, a, an elite receiver, um, you know, and um, I'm really excited to see what what Jahan is going to do. One of the other things that I noticed about Jahan last year, we talked about this, you know, in the doldrums is he started becoming much more of a vocal leader. I mean, he, he and of course, he's also leading by example because he's making key plays on the field, but he's talking about. Uh, the focus and the dedication, uh, and the commitment it requires to uh, to be a football team that is going to do the right thing uh, on the field and in the you know on the practice field, and um, we're hearing more of the same out of Jahan this off season as well. I mean, he doesn't say a lot, but the things he's saying, you could tell. He is a leader in that locker room, and um, uh, you know maybe a little bit soft spoken. He's not as kind of. You know, Sean Clifford, a lot of times, will we'll talk a big talk. But um, Jahan, uh, he just – Do you I not feel like, like that, Andy? <laughs> Do you not like when Clifford talks a big talk because he can't back it up? <laughs> well, when you can't back it up, you kind of look foolish, don't you? Right, but, right. But, um, you know, Jahan, yeah. I, he he's a little more uh, reserved in how he speaks. But the way he composes himself, the way he holds himself, uh, to me, is just – I really admire him, and I, I think he's a huge asset. I'm excited to see what he's going to do for us this year. Well, you know, you, you talk about um, how Jahan's, like, you know, a little more measured, uh, you know, more soft-spoken, leads by example, lets his play, do the talking. He has made it very clear in a number of ways what his pl- what he intends to do this year. Uh, you know, he came back. He 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 put off the NFL draft. He could have gone to the NFL draft. He came back with that you know that contingent of other Penn State Nittany Lions who decided to come back: Rasheed Wall, Rasheed uh, Walker, um, Tariq Castro-Fields, Jaquan Brisker, to name a couple of them. Uh, those guys all decided together to come back for for. You know, not leaving the things with, with the team the way that they were at the end of last season. But he has also stated publicly that he wants to leave Penn State as the best wide receiver in Penn State history. He wants to be the best. He wants to be the best wide receiver in the country. These are things that he yeah, said and, out loud. And, and coming <laughs> from a guy like Jahan Dotson, like that's right. not a small thing for him. That's to what I'm saying. Like, say yeah, exactly. He, he, he's, he has put that out there because he knows – that everybody around him can be better, including himself. And, you know, so, uh, who am I to argue what he's saying? In other yeah, words, he's made some wild plays last year. Watch out for Jahan Dotson. He, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he, he has, he has a, a, a chance to, to, to he's do something really the, great this year. He is one of the very few wide receivers that I can remember that has taken a bubble screen and taken it to the house. <laughs> True. He he did that last. He, he did like an eighty he yard. He made the bubble screen look good at Penn State at least on at least one occasion. Has last year. seemed futile <laughs> and impossible for a ever very done. very long time. Yeah. It was almost like when I never Joe seen and, another bubble screen. It's it was almost thing. like when Joe and 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 um, his son Jay were running the jet sweep forever. Oh, and we could never get it to work. Never get it. You to know. Work. Uh, so Let's this try is, it again. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. So, so, but hey, so we talked about our number one and number two wide receivers, but what about you know 
who our number three is, or even four, or five, or six. You know, yeah, you got, you that's a bit a of a challenge, there. right? Which, which is where I'm also, you know, seeing the tight ends as part of that wide receiving core because I think, you yeah. know, Theo Johnson and Brent, Brenton Strange are are probably your best third option as we look right now. But like you said, um, in terms of the true receiver position. Um, you've got Daniel George, Cam Sullivan, Brown, who, you know, these are big guys. Um, they've come into a lot of fanfare, always expected, you know, a lot out of them. And they really haven't demonstrated on the field um, that they can live up to that hype, partly because they drop balls. Yeah. I mean, they, Penn State has, you know, it's kind of so, I would say, I mean, I'm for putting words in their mouths, but are, are worried enough about the wide receiver position beyond their first two or three? Uh, and I think the third one would end up being Keandre Lambert-Smith. I think they like him. That's why they had him as the third last year more often than not. Um, ahead of the, you know, the, these upperclassmen, George Daniel and Sullivan, Cam Sullivan-Brown. But they, they, don't like, they don't like where they're at so much. Especially with the loss of Lonnie White Jr. to the Pir- to the Pittsburgh Pirates, they moved over cornerback Marquise Wilson, number right. eight. They moved him over to wide receiver. Now they're not saying it's a permanent change. They're basically just trying him there because I. Th- but I, and I think that might be more indicative that the cornerback and safety room is so inundated with with talent and skill. And, and and just depth in general that they were like this guy you know Marquise is a is a good athlete we want to see if he can help bridge the gap with some of the depth over there at wide receiver so yeah, it'll be interesting he, to see if he continues to play the wide receiver role not just in spring and summer but through the the fall season as well yeah and, and you mentioned Keandre Lambert Smith and he was a guy that we thought maybe at the beginning of last year could be a true freshman contributor and he did see the field but um, yeah he didn't. He didn't really separate himself either. So he you know, didn't, like uh, have any statistics until like the like almost the end of the season. Yeah. So you know, I would say, barring um, you know something from Marquise Wilson that that he like you know bursts onto the scene as a great receiver, I think it's probably a three way um, competition between Daniel George. Cam Sullivan Brown and Keandre Lambert Smith for that that third spot and you know any one of them you know I think you know go win it man like go yeah. go be the guy go show that you can put it together and and you know uh, it'll be interesting to see but uh, you know my sense right now is that your tight end is your your third best receiving Theo option at the split moment. Na- split now. Especially and, Theo. But Brendan Strange had, like, he showed himself to be a, a reliable receiver last year. When oh, yeah, he, absolutely. When he, I'm just uh, saying the, the for, height of Theo Johnson at 6'6". I see 6'6 or 6'7", I forget. Um, but he, he, is a, he is a mismatch waiting to happen. You know, yeah. he can... So, I, think he was, I think he was clocked at running a 4'4'40 four, four, at 6'6", 250. So, that's I mean, ridiculous. that's a mismatch waiting to explode in someone's defensive backfield, you know? So, in other words, you're making my point. I guess. <laughs> if you'd, li- <laughs> but, if you'd so, like to Look, we've been talking about receivers there, sure. for a little while here, but you know what? Um, none of these receivers is going to do anything notable if they don't have a good quarterback to throw them the ball. And so we've saved the, um, I don't want to say best for last. Worst. We've we'll saved say worst the, for last. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that either, but like I, we've saved the most until he proves intriguing 
you know, the, the, the most significant for last in, in the quarterback. And, you know, as we said earlier, well, Levis is gone. We don't have an experienced backup quarterback. Um, it, Sean Clifford's the man. Like, it, it's his time to shine. You know, it's do or die. He, we're not going to – I mean, if we see Sean Clifford benched halfway through the season because of poor performance, we're in really bad shape. Um, it, it's, you know, I think Yursich's offense is – a better offense for Sean Clifford. Less time making decisions. It's faster paced. You got one or two options, but it, it's still Clifford's to run. You you still have to like, you know, make a good decision, make an accurate throw. What are we going to see out of Clifford this year, bro? Ah, man. <laughs> um, this is tough. This is really tough. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am more encouraged by our offensive line than I am encouraged by Sean Clifford. You know, he always says the right things. He always seems to talk about, like, what's going mean, you, know, you always hear the right things coming from, like, journalists about, like, what's going on in camp and, like, how he's, like, being a leader. And it's like, I don't care. I don't care about hearing about all these good <laughs> things that are coming out of the, the Clifford camp of, of, of newsworthy material. I only care about if he's turning the ball over or not. And I only care about if he's making the right reads. Like, I don't want, I don't need him to throw for 350 yards a game. I don't even need him to throw for 250 yards a game. All I want from him is for him to hand the ball off when it's prudent. And I want for him to make smart decisions and not panic like a like a little freshman would first time they they get on campus and and they're like uh, uh, I don't know what I'm doing with the ball ah like that's what it feels like is about to happen every time Clifford hikes the ball and I have you know Clifford we're, we're to see some <laughs> yeah I can tell man we're I have we're, we're having some. We're we're seeing some NFL preseason, and so you're getting some uh, experience of uh, you know first year NFL quarterbacks uh, looking like ah, you know because they're facing um, you know they're facing NFL offenses for the first time or NFL defenses for the first time, and um, yeah, it feels like Clifford as a third year like we shouldn't see any of that you know, um, but not just because it's overconfidence and he's like not paying attention to, you know, the defense coming at him, but he knows how to handle it, that uh, he's able to um, re- read the offense, he's able to make the decision, do an accurate throw um, when he needs to. Uh, I, I, and I, I guess the question is, like, are, are we going to see it? And, and we just, unfortunately, without kind of putting our eyes on him in a game situation, we're not going to know whether he's taking that step forward. Yeah, I, it's like Wisconsin's game one. What's the game plan going to be? Uh, we'll know right away, to, I guess, won't we? <laughs> are, are are we going to see an offensive game plan that is going to use Noah Kane to set up the pass? Or are we going to see an offensive game plan that's, um, you know, Sean Clifford trying to set up? I don't know. Like, I just I don't want to see game one be in Sean Clifford's hands. I don't want to see the game plan just, just be Clifford... You know, the whole thing. I'll tell you what I'd like to see. Is I'd like to see Sean Clifford being a good quarterback there from from first snap. 
You know, I'd like to see yeah, like, like the first. I'd like to see the first throw not being like ten feet over somebody's head or like standing in the pocket for ten seconds and taking a sack. Like I'd like to see Sean Clifford look like he has full command of the offense and is able to deliver accurate throws, uh, quick and decisive reads. I, my brain can't like r- can't see it. <laughs> I know. I can't. I, I know. Like I have the I have PTSD from last season. You know, and even and even the games that mattered most the year before when he like kind of quote unquote crapped the bed. You know? <laughs> I, he crapped yeah, the bed. Man. Yeah. He crapped yeah. the bed. And and you know yeah. when it's a big moment, it seems like he, he doesn't he doesn't rise to the occasion as much as he likes to talk about being yeah, that, a leader. That Minnesota and doing the right game things. in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, the Ohio State game. Yeah. You know what he crapped. Yeah. So well look. I guess we don't really have anything. I want him to be great, obviously. I, I yeah. don't like have anything against Sean Clifford, but he 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 exudes all the charisma that you that you're typically you know typically used to seeing from a quarterback who's winning lots of games. He exudes, and you you want that, and, and you need that. But like at a certain point, it just becomes fluff, you know. Like right, right. shut up, you know. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Just do sorry. It, right? I, mean, I, I I'm not trying to be too hyperly critical of him, but like he needs to be. He needs to just settle down and and just do the small things right, not no. the big play. You know, do the small things right, and, and the like, big stuff that, will take care of themselves. I that's yeah. That, it seems like in a lot of ways, Sean Clifford's approach has been kind of reverse, right? Like I need to be a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback at all times. Is what it looks like. That's yeah, what it and, appears and like of course, gunning for. Right, like his when he was um, backing up Trace, um, Trace's last year, he would come in in some spots, and he had that you know he had that huge throw. Um, that for, his first touchdown pass was in that pit game. His first pass was for a touchdown, the longest right? pass in Penn State. Well, that was that was Idaho the next oh, sorry, game sorry. or something like that. Yeah. But in, in any case, um, you know he he can hit the big throw, right? He has the arm strength and the accuracy when when all when circumstances are just right, he can do it. And like we even saw that last year, was it the when he came back in? Was it the Iowa game where he kind of like brought us back and like you know? Oh, and then made a big long throw, floundered directly then, after ex- bringing us back. Exactly, and then immediate bed crapping after hope was there. <laughs> Uh, right. So, so like, yes, your sitch is going to give you a chance to hit the home run, but if you if you can't do the little things well, all of the other downs and all the other plays, and you're going to get slammed to the ground for a loss because you didn't hand the ball off when you should have, or you know, if you if you you know throw a stupid interception or you know get the ball stripped or whatever, like you know those big plays don't don't matter. So, I, like you're saying, I mean. You know, I think Sean Clifford could, could he be a great quarterback for Penn State? Could he at least be a good quarterback for Penn State? Just yes, be he could. Good. Just be good. Let no can but be he, great. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's, <laughs> I, I'll hear you, man. That, I'll take yeah. that too. A great Noah Kane and a good Sean Clifford is a good like that's a good formula for a good offense this year. But I'll take seventeen hundred you know, yards rushing. And and, a, it, and an offense that grinds the will to compete from their opponents, you know, and a quarterback who doesn't make mistakes. The Baltimore Ravens won an NFL World Championship with Trent Dilfer. 
right? You know, like yeah, I, man. I don't it's a need. Thing of I don't. You don't need the best quarterback in the world. You don't. You really don't. You know, Alabama has been churning out quarterbacks for under Nick Saban for decades that that they're not like the greatest quarterbacks, and they just have a great defense and a great running back, and they just grind and it a, down and, a and play fundamentally that, sound football that plays good football. Yeah, you know, and, it's, and it's so worth it's worth noting, Andy. By the way, that. Every single quarterback that Franklin has had has regressed under Franklin. Hmm, interesting. Think about it. Interesting. You can start with Hackenberg, and I know that wasn't his recruit, but I don't care. It still happened. And then you, Trace McSorley didn't get better from his first year. He got, you know, incrementally worse. And here's Sean Clifford, year two. Mm, interesting. Horrible. Great first year. Promising first year, hopefully yeah, get, so, getting better after his first year. So, are there terrible. extenuating oh. circumstances with each of those examples, or is this a trend? no doubt? You could Sean Clifford will give us a chance to uh, to see whether that that trend can be broken. L- listen, Franklin's offensive coordinators have changed like every single year, like uh, more or less. And so, like the constant is James Franklin, okay? Uh, and he was a quarterback uh, in college. All right, he was an offensive coordinator. These are things that he should be making quarterbacks better, right? Yeah. You'd think. Yeah. Well, here's this right. chance, and we'll see it on the field this year. Uh, that's going to bring an end to our offensive uh, position breakdown, and um, we're going to be wrapping things up here um, with a little bit of uh, our final take. Like, you know, we we're just sort of getting into that, bro, but like... W- our final take? Our final takedown. Uh, you know, I just like what's you know, okay. all things considered. You know, your such's scheme, the positions that we have on the field. What what are you feeling? How are you feeling about the offense? What do you think you're going to see? What are you what are you hoping you'll see? I am. You know what what are your predictions for what we're going to see in the offense this year? I am optimistic about every single level of the offense, including the offensive coordinator. I'm skeptical of Sean Clifford. Um, yeah. And and with each gro- with each day with each passing day, and as the season <laughs> continues to to loom for that, that away Wisconsin game, I, I get more and more concerned about Sean Clifford being the guy w- to, with the keys to the offense. And I'm really hoping that Yursich is devising the perfect offense to be tailored to suit Sean Clifford's strengths. And to keep his brain from being overreactive to all the things that are happening around him, and are just simplifying things to letting Sean ease into this new offense with a, a very difficult opening schedule. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited about Yersich. Um, you know, I think this is as this is as good a chance that. Penn State's had to have a have a dynamic offense since Joe Moorhead yet, and I, I really, really hope to see it. Yeah, I mean, I want it. Obviously, I'm a fan. That's what I, I want. I think all of the pieces are in place for having a great offense, except for the quarterback. And of course, you know, yes, Alabama's done it without a, an elite quarterback, but. Almost every other place has required an elite quarterback to get you there. Baker Mayfield, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, you know, the list goes on of 
high level quarterbacks that have been required to take you to the playoffs. And um, yeah, we don't exactly have that in Sean Clifford, but with all the other pieces, the way they are, maybe, maybe we can, I don't know. It could be great. I mean, I can see it. It could be great. I can see Clifford pulling it together. I just hope that, like, he's not, you know, like, he's not doing and saying all the right things in practice. And in the back of his mind, he's just like, I'm going to win the Heisman Trophy yeah. this year. And no. I'm going to step out like, onto that's that not field. And I'm going to start gunslinging it all over the place. To hell with the game plan. I'm going to improvise on every single play. Oh, oh <laughs> like, that be the worst. I mean, that's, that's the reality of what could happen. Like, Clifford gets out there and just poops. <laughs> <laughs> poops himself in front of all the fans and we all see it and we're like oh my gosh it's exactly what we all didn't want to see hey, Clifford going we, off script we ha- we know what that we know what that looks like we've seen uh, yeah. it. and it, i'm it's i tough to am, clean up all that poop <laughs> i'm hopeful for something different this year i you know and the the kind of the the, the exciting and terrifying thing is that um Wisconsin and their defense is going to give us a real test right away. We'll know. I mean, obviously, you can always improve from a first game, but we'll know right away whether we're seeing a different kind of offense or more of the same from the last two or three years. And I, I'm excited. I'm hopeful. I, 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 what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, you know, what what I'm expecting. I'm I'm hopeful. I'm thinking. I'm thinking we're going to turn some heads. This year Listen, on offense, it, it, I, I'm really, I'm really or, feeling for, it. For better or for worse, we're going to turn some heads. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you know Hopefully what I mean. Not I, Penn State fans' heads turning oh, yeah. around turning, oh, to not watch, <laughs> <laughs> turning around to go for the exits. Now, no, he, I, he, I, I think we're going to turn some heads from from the uh, college football world. I think, I think people are going to start paying attention. I, I think uh, you're right. The all the pieces are in place to have a. To have the chance at a prolific offense, I, and you know, some people are even putting their AP votes in for us be, to be a top ten team, which I don't like. I don't want to see. I, I'm happy of us, you know, being off the radar as a top twenty five team. You know, top you know twenty whatever. Yeah, but like, yeah, some that's teams, okay with some me. is it Brett McMurphy or Brett Murphy? I forget what his name is, but he yeah, he, he, he put eight. us as like a number eight. You know, and I don't like that. That gives Sean Clifford this, uh, you know, oh, yeah. th- the sense that, oh, yeah, he's the oh, man. Oh, 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 we're the best. And I'm not the best because I, I crapped. Um, but but here's, you know, you mentioned it. I'm a little worried. It's a scary prospect of playing Wisconsin, yada, yada. What scares me the most is if Sean Clifford returns for his sixth year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, he's a fifth-year senior right now, but he has the eligibility to be to play one more season next year because of the whole loophole with the the COVID year and not learn, you know, not, not uh, burning eligibility there. So you might be eating those words by the end of the season, bro. I hope so. Good. I will eat them. I'll eat a whole buffet worth of them. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm not. Won't be shy about how glad I was that I was wrong about Sean Clifford, and then, you know. But the, it just I, I just gotta see it because last year it just yeah. never materialized. And show it's me, just, it's yeah, show me. All yeah, right, we need to go to Missouri, the Show Me State, Missouri. Yeah, I'll actually be in Missouri very soon. Here, uh, I'll be driving back to Denver uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow yeah, morning. So, yeah. So um, yeah. So so that that's gonna wrap it up for us. And um, yeah, Tom's heading back to Colorado. Um, we'll 
we'll maybe be able to have a more uh, kind of a normal recording schedule here. What we have coming up uh, for next episode uh, in about a week is um, we're going to preview the defense and mm. uh, and and go through uh, what we expect to marks. see. <laughs> yes, uh, some and question marks injuries. there as well. Um, so, so we'll, we'll do a breakdown of the defense. Um, and, um, you know, maybe there'll be some more surprises. Uh, maybe it'll just be a run of the mill. There will definitely be some more tangents. Uh, no doubt. I have anything to say about it. Uh, unless I mute you, you will. <laughs> Blue and white oh, brothers. Man. Yeah, you but dude, we're, without me. <laughs> we're less than three weeks away from. Yeah. What is it? Kickoff. Today's Monday. Big Ten, the we, big yeah, we're, noon we're, kick against Wisconsin. That's it's yeah. less than three weeks away. So big I'm getting excited, noon. man. <laughs> glad to be glad, glad to be on board with you, man. Uh, yeah. It always starts with I love you. And it ends with I love you. It always starts with I love you. It always ends with I love you. <laughs> the bitter end. To the bitter end. <laughs> love you, bro. Love you. See you guys. Thanks for having me on the show again this week. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 